<clears throat> so if you have your Bibles, let's open up to uh, Ezekiel 47. Ezekiel 47, probably a, a familiar passage. I want to <clears throat> read and make some thoughts on it. So we're going to begin reading in verse 1. Then he brought me back to the door of the house, and behold, water was flowing from under the threshold of the house toward the east, for the house faced east. And the water was flowing down from under, from the right side of the house, from south of the altar. He brought me out by way of the north gate and led me around on the outside to the outer gate by way of the gate that faces east. And behold, the water was trickling from the south side. When the man went out toward the east with a line in his hand, he measured a thousand cubits and led me through the water, water reaching the ankles. Again, he measured a thousand and led me through the water, water reaching the knees. Again, he measured a thousand and led me through the water, water reaching the loins. Again, he measured a thousand and it was a river that I could not ford, for the water had risen enough where it is swum in, a river that cannot be crossed. He said to me, Son of man, have you seen this? Then he brought me back to the bank of the river. Now when I had returned, behold, on the bank of the river, there were very many trees on the one side and the other. Then he said to me, these waters go out toward the eastern region and go down into Arabah, and they go toward the sea, being made to float into the sea, and the waters of the sea become fresh. It will come about that every living creature which swarms in every place where the river goes will live, and there will be very many fish, for these waters would go there and the others become fresh. So everything will live where the river goes. And it will come about that the fishermen will stand beside it from Engede to Inglam. Wow, that's a unique word there. <laughs> there will be a place for the spreading of the nets. Their fish will be in according to their kinds, like they fish the great sea very many. Verse 11, but its swamps and marshes will not become fresh. They will be left for salt. By the river on its banks, one on one side and the other will grow all kinds of trees for food. Their leaves will not wither and their fruit will not fail. They will bear every month because their water flows from the sanctuary and their fruit will be for food and their leaves for healing. I love this passage because uh, it just stirs something immensely in my heart. And today I want to pose the question to us, how deep do you want to go? How deep do you want to go? It is, it's really is a true statement that we are all in different places in our walk. Some are much more advanced, some are beginners, some are in the middle. But I believe at the end of the day, we have, because of what we are willing to pursue, I believe that the grace that extends to one is extended to another one. And the question is, what are we doing with the grace that's been released to us? And there's a few ways we can look at this story. I really want to just look at this from like a more of an allegorical sense today. 
But I, I, here I want you to catch before we get into the story. I want you to catch this story and how that this river brought life. Wherever this river went, it brought life. And it's interesting that in verses 1 and 2, he talks about, uh, he talks about water. He talks about a house and an altar. And so let's just start with those thoughts. We know as water that is a symbol of the Holy Spirit. I won't bore you with the scriptures, but we could read Isaiah 44, verse 3. We could read John chapter 7, where Jesus speaks of he that believes on me, out of his belly will flow rivers of living water. We know that the, the, the water is so synonymous with the Holy Spirit. And then he mentions a house, and we know as well that we are the temple of the Holy Spirit. So here's this house that has water flowing from it. And we get that. But what I love about this, let me just go kind of fast through this right here because I want to bore you with my details, is that we find that this water that flows from the house comes from the altar. It's interesting that the water flows from under the altar. And I believe the reason many believers don't flow in the Holy Spirit is because they haven't lived on the altar. What is the altar? It is the place of sacrifice. It's a place of dying, of laying down our lives before God. And, and for whatever reason, we still want to be Lord of our own life. That's just true. That, let's, just, let's just put it on the... Let's just put it on. Most believers who love God, I mean, literally, they love God, they're going to heaven, but they refuse to give Jesus complete lordship in their life. And I am, I am really coming to the truth of the revelation in my life that Jesus wants to be Lord over everything. From the smallest of details, from the smallest thing to the largest thing, he wants to be Lord of all of it. And I'm just convinced the reason we, as a charismatic group of people, don't see the power of the Holy Spirit as they did in the book of Acts, because we are Lord of our life. We, we still love our life. We still love our, our comfort. We don't like pain. We don't want to face persecution. And, and that's a dramatic difference between the 21st century church and the 1st century church. One of the passages I love to chew on is in Acts chapter 5, I believe it is. And it says that they rejoiced that they were counted worthy to suffer shame for his name. They just got beat. And they rejoiced that they were worthy to be beat for him. That is a huge difference than the postmodern North American church that we live in today. God, why does this happen in my life? Wasn't something, God? We we don't like pain. Listen, I can't be honest. I don't like pain either. But there there was such a mindset in the early believers, and I'm convinced it was one thing. They were so radically in love with Jesus that John writes in the book of Revelation that they loved not their life unto death. 
they were willing to lay down even their life because they were so in love with this man named Jesus. And I think Jesus says it. No man, greater love is this, than no man who will lay his life down for a friend. Jesus models this place of laying down life so that people can have life. And, and, I, and I think in my own journey, I don't know if the North American church is here yet. I'm going to be honest, I think we're far from it. Right there with you. And so this is not Paul like pointing fingers. This is, this is like Paul saying, Lord, there's areas of my life that I need you to kill, crucify, submit. Why? Because I want to be a person that when I'm in public, I have water that has life. And most believers, I'm just being honest, most believers don't have that. They speak in tongues. They give their offering to God. They love God. They may pray when they eat their meals. But this, there's this huge disconnect. And this is not going to be like a, ooh, this is a great sermon, Paul. No, listen, I feel that God wants to awaken us. Can I just say where we are? I think this is where I really feel as a church we're at. We're coming to an awakening. I, uh, I, think, I think what Martin said is so correct. Um, again, let, let's just say this. Let's make sure we understand what we're saying. They're not saved. No, they're saved. It's just, you know, there's the old saying, Jesus is Savior, but he's not Lord. In the Baptist church, <laughs> he is my Savior, but I just don't know if I'm ready to just give. I think, you know what I think? I'm, let me just kind of go with this. I think we're so afraid if we surrender everything, he might call us to somewhere else. God, if I surrender, you're going to send me to Zimbabwe? <laughs> you know, honestly, he probably wouldn't even do that to you. But what does he want? He wants a heart that's completely his. Why? Because he's worthy to be worshipped. Let's just kind of stay in this vein of worship just for a minute. If I was to say, what, what is worship? What would you say? If I was to ask, I'm asking you a question. If I was to say, what is worship? What would you say? Some would say, well, that's raising your hands. Or that's shouting or that's kneeling or that's laying on your face. Can I actually tell you that's not worship? That's an expression of worship. Worship is a life fully devoted surrender to God. Augustine said, man's chief end is to glorify God. Your chief end in life is to glorify God. And I'm convinced that when the church lives in this place of learning to glorify God, then we'll be a people who, when we go out in public, actually have a river flowing from us that life comes to us. I, I think it's so sad that there are people in churches who is in legal situation. And they have no hope. I mean, there's Jesus. I understand that. But there's nobody around them to say, your son can make it. You're going to make it. Because they don't have any life flowing from them. And that is a scary, scary thought. I, I would hate to be in their situation and not be around people who can speak life into me, bring hope into me, through the word of God, through the word of the Lord, through encouragement. 
And so I think, man, Lord, I, I look at this, this passage and here's this water and it brought life, but it, it came from the altar. And that's why we've made our nights here a night of prayer, a night of worship, a night of we're going to bow down because Jesus is Lord in this place. How, how about instead of it being tragedy in books of praise, how about it's the goodness of God in the books of praise? That's just a thought. How about it's not even what God did for us then in books of praise, it's, it's who he is. It's his splendor and his majesty and his glory and his goodness. That invokes the praise of his people. Not because we're going through tragedy or not because he is blessed, us, because of who he is. We, we have so Pimp out the presence of God. I, I want to say something right there, but I'm not going to say because it it's really bad, and I would have to edit it out. I, I think, I think, what would it be like to have a body of believers who they gather in here on Sunday morning and out? of the depths of their soul comes a praise that is just so pure, so untainted by life. Talking to me as well, guys. Please don't ever think I'm always talking about you. I'm always going through, because I realize my own issues. I, I had to do a lot of repenting yesterday. <laughs> I thought, Lord, I need to repent. I got angry about some things. I had to repent. So I just think it's like that moment when we was doing Raise the Hallelujah was beautiful. And I think, man, what, what would that be like? And when, you, when we do that as a house, water is going to begin to flow. God's moving. So in this story, we have four examples of water. There's water to the ankles. There's water to the knees, there's water to the loins, and a river to swim in. Now, when you think about the ankles, just in your natural state of mind, I, when I first started chewing this thought, I thought, well, you know, that's just a piece of immaturity. That's, you know, shallow water. And the Lord's like, you might, you might want to check that out. I'm like, okay. So I began to actually look at the word ankles in the Hebrew. Here's what it means. It means to stop or put to an end. It comes from a root word that means to disappear or to be clean gone. In other words, we're dead. This man starts walking because he's dead to self. He has died. Now again, let's understand something I spoke on a few weeks ago. The difference between dead to sin and dead to self. We both want both. We've died to sin because of what Jesus did for us, Romans 6. We were buried with him in baptism, so we have died to sin. The sin nature is not there anymore. The only reason we sin is because we choose to sin, but we're not led by sin. But the dead to self, this is the place most believers battle with, because they don't want to die to self. Jesus had this in his own life. Matthew 26, in the garden. God, if there's any way, let this cup pass. Jesus, don't, if you think this, Jesus did not want to go to the cross. <laughs> he didn't. He, wanted, he didn't, but, but not my will. 
So Jesus shows us as a man dependent on the Holy Spirit what it was to have your will and your desires submitted to what God wanted instead. So he says, Lord, I don't want the cross, but there's no other way, so not my will, your will be done. And that's where most of us have not died yet. If we're just honest, Lord, you know, if I just follow you like that, that's going to cost me. My, that's going to cost me. It's going to cost me some money in my bank account. It's going to cost me some time with my family. Listen, can I just be honest with you? Serving God will cost you. That's Crawfords. They get up every Sunday. What time do you get up, Mark, every Sunday now for this? Okay, and today it felt so good outside, didn't it, man? It was so warm outside. I mean, what they do for three years now, two and a half years now, it, it has cost them. It's cost them time. It's cost them money. It's cost them going out in cold weather and hot weather and rainy weather. There's a cost to following Jesus. But the reward is so much greater than what we put into it. It's so amazing. So he begins to walk because he's died to himself. Even Jesus in Matthew 16 talks about the cost of discipleship. Listen to what he says in Matthew 16. Then he said to them, If anyone wishes to come after me, he must deny himself. Take up his cross and follow me. We don't preach this anymore. But he's saying, if you want to be my disciple, that's how you got to do it. For whoever wishes to save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. For what will it profit a man if he gains the whole world and forfeits his soul? Or what will a man give in exchange for his? When he speaks of life, he's talking about the, the, the Greek word there is suke. It's the soul. Will a man lay down his soul? What is your soul? It's your mind, your will, your emotions. It's a thing you want. It's like, we deny yourself. We deny yourself. So if we're going to walk in the spirit like this, we have to submit our will and our desires to his will and his desires. Can I be honest? God, when you get up in the morning to go pray, is not always fun. But man, it's so good. Because, you know, most of us I fall back asleep when I'm praying, but there's always little nuggets released in that moment. Now, could God have waited until 10 p.m., 10 a.m.? Yeah, he could have, but why? There's something about God likes to call you away. Doesn't mean he loves you more. Doesn't mean if you stay in the bed, he doesn't love you any less. He loves you the same. But what I've learned is this in my journey, is that when those invitations come to get up at 3 in the morning, and, I, and when I say get up, not me saying my thought like, God... Waking you up out of death sleep. Well, I've learned now when I wake up, it's, that's God. I just, that's, that I know when it's the bathroom and when it's God. And there's a big difference. Sometimes it's both. But what I've learned is this, is that when I in the past have said no to those invitations, those invitations became fewer and fewer. Doesn't mean that God didn't love me less. He loved me the same. But there were things he wanted to reveal to me, but because I wouldn't submit my heart, he wouldn't give me his secrets at the moment. So when God wakes me up now, if it's 3 or 4 in the morning, I'm going to go on the study. If it's 15 minutes or an hour, I'm going to say, I'm going to sit there with the Lord. Why? Because there's something he wants to impart and release. And as I've done that, guess what happens? Those invitations kind of increase, but the depth of what he gives me is much more valuable. 
Listen, I've actually went in there in my study with like a thought, like one thought, and I have sat down and wrote four pages on one thought. Like, like I'm talking about one six-letter sentence, and I, and I write four pages on it. That don't happen at two in the afternoon. That happens at four in the morning. Why? Because your spirit is alert. Your spirit's awakened. Even though your flesh is like, <laughs> you know, about to pass out. Like this morning, my son wakes up at five o'clock because of the freaking time change. I want to smack him. But it wasn't God because I was fighting it. So that's the first thing I want you to see. Walk in the spirit. Submit. So after he walks a thousand cubits, he then comes to waters up to the knees. Now the word knee is interesting. You know what the word knee means? It means a knee. But it comes from a root, a root word that means to kneel or to bless God. What is that? That's worship. As we grow going deeper in God, this should be a constant. As I, be, as I submit my life to him more and more, as I surrender more and more, then the overflow of worship should just be a constant in my life. Uh, Ruth Ward Heflin said this. She says, praise until the spirit of worship comes. Worship until the glory comes. Then stand in the glory. I love that. I love that about being about being a people who praise until the spirit of worship comes. You know, that's when we have to shift in this house. This is on me. Two fast songs, two slow songs. Now, what if we just praised until a spirit of worship came in the building? And then when worship came in the building, we waited until the glory came in. But for that to happen, that's going to cost us some, you know what? It's going to cost us some time. Because it's not going to happen in 40 minutes. This is, this, is why, this is why this right here doesn't happen in the majority of the North American church. Because we have a time frame we're on. Bless God, i got to get to that restaurant. i got to beat the Baptist. I'm just being honest. Listen, when you, when you like in Indonesia... And they're like a two-hour worship set. Like my friend and, and we're Bruce Church at New Day at High Point, the first time we went in there, we were there for five and a half hours. Worship went on for two and a half hours. That was normal. We didn't get done to 3 p.m. We started at 10 a.m. Nobody left. Nobody left. That had been in the church. They're gone because I got to eat. I got my diabetes kicking up on me. Saying, man, nil. And so, as we progress in this place of walking with God, as we surrender to His will, and we come to this place of water to these, we actually live in this place of worship. Guys, I can't just tell you, I believe one of the most important things is a lifestyle of worship. I believe the most important thing we can do as believers is worship. And not just here. We're talking about a lifestyle of worship. A lifestyle where you live a life of worship. When you're in your job, it's worship. When you're with your family, it's worship. When you're at home alone with God, it's worship. You, you so pour out on Jesus everything he's worthy of. I, I just chew on the passage about Mary pouring this perfume on Jesus. This, this perfume that cost a year's wages and she pours it on his feet which speaks of the cost of worship I want, to, I want us to understand this 
there is a cost in worship. We, we've got so much, listen, I am so thankful for grace. I am a grace person. But we've got so much in the grace that we don't talk about the cost anymore. Now, there's a cost. They, they ain't in the cost. Okay. Then why did Jesus get up all night and pray for, the, for who he picked, for his disciples? But listen to this. When she worships the Father, when she, I'm sorry, when she worships Jesus, the aroma filled the entire house. And I think, does our worship release an aroma that fills the house? And I'm going to say, no, it doesn't. Just, just think, she pours out this perfume and the aroma fills the house. What would it be like to be in a, in a worship setting and the aroma of God begins to fill the room? It happens in the Old Testament when the fire of God will fall in Psalm Chronicles 5 and the priest could not stand because of the glory came from the temple. It happened again in chapter 7 when the fire fell down and they couldn't even enter into the building because the glory filled the temple. There are examples in scripture where the glory of God was so fill a building that people couldn't even get into the building. And I think, man, that would be awesome to be part of. That a people release a sound that so draws the attention of heaven that heaven fills the room. That's exciting. See, I'm, I'm convinced the more we worship, the more it becomes a natural overflow of life. I can tell when I'm with people who live a regular lifestyle of worship and people who don't. How do you know, Paul? Because one has grace on it and one is a forced rhythm. They force it. Yes, God! You, you, you can just tell. It's like, oh, you, you can just tell it. I'm not saying that's all bad, but I... Listen, I'm, I'm just saying, I, I've been in meetings, and I'm thinking, whoo, that person, I, I remember years ago, this girl now is involved in lesbianism. She's a lesbian now. But when she was about 12 years old, she's probably 28 now, being at church with her, and she was a worshiper. And I got behind her, and I about fell out. And then she got deceived. But she lived for years as this pure, young girl. And when you got around her, you about fell out. And she didn't even pray for you. She didn't even look at you. Just the presence she carried was so strong that you were like, whoop, looked like my mom. Just falling out. But then I came around people, and it's like, man, that's so forced. You haven't spent any time with the Father this week. And that's so sad. You know, I, I think so much about the church in China. The church in China who doesn't have Bibles, where Christianity is illegal, they will put you in jail for being a Christian. And how I see videos of them getting Bibles and them being so, like, that's the greatest gift ever. And we take our religious freedoms for granted. I know this is probably a broken sermon I've probably said in the past. You know what? I'm going to keep saying it until we actually get it. Because I, I just, I, I thank God those people are hungry. Those people are on fire. And so I pray this prayer, Lord, I want to burn like that. 
if you had to choose between religious freedom and no presence or persecution and presence, which one would you take? I believe we can have presence in religious freedom. But I'm just saying, if you had to choose, would you choose religious freedom with no presence, just religion, or would you choose persecution and taste and see the glory of God? I think I'm going to take that one. Because that's just for a moment compared to eternity. I know I'm boring you. <laughs> you look so excited about this. Next, water that came up to the loins. What does it speak of? Reproduction. As we walk with God and worship God, we begin to re- reproduce the things of God. Intimacy is a lost, I don't want to say art, is a lost expression in the church. Most believers, if I'm honest, are not intimate with Jesus. Paul says that I may know him. Jesus said, this is the eternal life that you may know him. Know is gnosko. The Hebrew word for that would be yada. Adam knew Eve and she conceived. It's a word of, this word knowing isn't head knowledge, it's experiential knowledge. I think one of the best examples I ever heard of this was when I was in Mexico, I'm sorry, Pachuca the first time. I was talking with Greg, and Greg's like, yeah, I was that guy in high school who knew all about drinking, knew all about drugs, but never got drunk, never got high. He had a knowledge of those things, but had never experienced those things. And honestly, that's a lot of the church. We, we know about God, we know about Jesus, we know about the Holy Spirit, but we really haven't ever tasted and seen of his goodness. If we have, it's been a little bit here, a little bit there. Listen, I want to taste and taste and taste and taste and taste. Do you find it interesting that when Judas betrays Jesus, he does it with a kiss? Have you ever thought that kind of, found it kind of weird? Like they knew who Jesus was, didn't they, in the temple? They knew it was. So why does he betray him with a kiss? Most historians write this. That after three years of walking with Jesus, the disciples all began to look like Jesus. And so Judas has to kiss Jesus so they know which one he is. But as Paul said, as we behold him, we become more like him. And the reason we don't look like him, walk like him, talk like him. I can't find anywhere in scripture where Jesus had, a, had a, an issue with him or somebody. I'm just, I'm just being honest. That's my opinion. I can be dead wrong. I, I can't find anywhere in the Gospels where Jesus like, hey, I need some more prayer. He just laid hands. And every, I'm thinking, I can't find that in the book of Acts. I see Peter's shadow healing people. I see Paul taking handkerchiefs and putting on people and they get well. I see Paul doing these crazy miracles. Where is the disconnect between Acts and Freedom Point Church? I can tell you it's not on his end. Paul, you're getting mad. No, I'm not getting mad. I'm telling you, we have such an inheritance 
that we are not walking in. And we want to make excuses. Well, you know, it's not God's will. It's not God's timing. Okay, show me that in Scripture. Because this is my foundation. This is my word of truth. This is my foundation. This is what I believe. If they did it, why don't we do it? Why is, my, why is she not healed? Why well, I don't know. So I'm, I'm not. Why is Miss Diane? Why does she struggle? I, I don't know. I don't. But you know, I, you know what? I'm, I'm sick and tired of saying. I'm sick and tired of saying I don't know. I'm going to say, here's the answer, and it's in my hands. <laughs> it's in my mouth. Be healed. I believe we will see the book of Acts released and demonstrated just as they did. Now, if you can show me different, hey, call me up and show me. We'll be good to go. But until then, I'm not satisfied with he's doing better. I'm glad he's doing better. I want, like, out of the bed walking. I want my wife walking free of headaches. I want me walking free of cerebral palsy. I want my son walking free of asthma. Whatever you're dealing with, I want you free of it because that's not the will of God. Thank you, Crawford. Last thought, this, this water that started at the ankles became a river he couldn't even swim in. He couldn't cross it. This, this water that started ankle deep as it progressed, it now becomes a river that you can swim in, fully immersed in the things of God. Oh, to be fully immersed in the Holy Spirit. To be fully saturated in the Holy Spirit. That every part of me is covered by all of Him. That we are literally full of the Holy Spirit. We, we actually give an expression to what it really means to be full of the Holy Spirit. We are soaked. We are drenched. We are empowered by the Holy Spirit. And then lastly, to be a people that because we're drenched in the Spirit, wherever we go, we bring life. This passage actually deals with life, healing, and also salvation. Because it talks about the multitude of the fish, that speaks of salvation. Oh man, Mark, could you imagine, man, being that filled that you just bring in the harvest? I, I believe this is what God's calling us to in this season, is to be a people who walk deep in the things of God. And the things of God being his presence, his anointing, his glory, his power. That wherever we go, we carry life, we release life. Not death, we carry life. Why? Because the life giver lives in us. And that starts... That starts as we submit our will to him, as we submit our desires. That starts as we live in this place of continuous worship, bowing before him, making a time to experience his presence. I, I just, we have to get here. We have to become a people who live in the secret place. Has to be. And as we do that, we begin to reproduce the things of God.